God's promised house. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the sermon of Sunday, July 18th, 2021 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. On Tisha B'Av, Deacon Aaron Imey has us consider God's promise to David. David desired to build a house for God, but God instead promises to build David into a house, a dynasty. This house would bring forth the Messiah, the one who will accomplish God's desire to dwell not just among Israel, but all humanity. We continue our worship through the public reading and study of the Word of God. So let's open our ears to hear what the Lord has to say to us this morning through His Word. The first reading is from 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, This is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own, and no longer be disturbed." Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to secede you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Psalm 89, verses 20 to 37. I have found David my servant. With my sacred oil, I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. The enemy will not get the better of him. The wicked will not oppress him. 
I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him, and through my name his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior, and I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne, as long as the heavens endure. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sins with the rod, their iniquity with floggings. But I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. It's the word of the Lord. The Gospel portion is from the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 6, beginning at verse 30. Please stand as we honor the Messiah and his teaching to us. The good news, brothers and sisters, through Mark. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught, and then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. When they had crossed over, they landed at Ganesarat, and they anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he, where he was, and wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside. They placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I'm going to say a few words, primarily on the Samuel portion. I'll make a few comments as well on, uh, on the gospel as it ties in. So I found it very interesting in the lectionary uh, this week that we have here David wanting to build a house for God. And what day is it today? Tisha B'Av, the day we remember and, and console 
ourselves with the temple and Jerusalem's destruction. I thought, wow, what an interesting little connection. So I might try and weave some of that together. But I want to begin by saying that salvation in the Bible is universal. Now, what do I mean by that? I do not mean uh, that any sort of uh, Unitarian theology or universalism which says that everyone gets saved because God is just so good, right? He's so nice, he wouldn't possibly send anyone to hell, so you're all in. Isn't that nice? You can go home now. It's not what I mean by salvation is universal in the Bible. What I mean is that God is not only the king of Israel. I mean, he is. But he's more than that. Whenever you discuss salvation in like the covenant of Abraham or here uh, and in the Psalms, salvation is always applied to the Gentiles too. Hallelujah, Adonai, kol ha goyim. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Well, how are they going to do that? Why would they do that? Why are they still Gentiles if they're praising the Lord? In the prayer of the, that every Jewish person prays, and we, we pray it too, on, particularly on Shabbat, Baruch Atah, Melech Haolam. Praise the Lord, King of the universe, not the King of Israel. So salvation is always, was, going to go out to the nations. Uh, and it's going to start, yes, with a certain people group, the family of Abraham. It was always going to be a little bit bigger than that. And that also is the story of the temple and the tabernacle of God. So here we have in this passage this week, the Davidic covenant. We read it. This is God's promises to King David as he makes another covenant. There's lots of covenants in the Bible. And guess what? They don't cancel each other out. Right? That's one thing we've been learning in our little Galatians passage. God made a covenant with Abraham. And he did just because he made another covenant, uh, the Mosaic covenant on Mount Sinai, that doesn't abrogate the, the, the Abrahamic one. Neither does God's covenant that he makes with Pinchas. Okay? You, you know that there's a covenant with Pinchas? Yeah, when Korah does his little thing. Um, no, not Korah, the, 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 the Midianites, the, the men and women are sleeping together and they're doing it in front of Moses and Moses isn't, doesn't say anything. And yet Pinchas, the grandson of Aaron, picks up a spear and he stabs uh, a Jewish guy from Simeon, actually a tribal leader of Simeon, and a princess. And God says, wow, this guy's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to make a covenant with him, a covenant of peace, which is really weird because he just killed two people. Um, and it says, I'm going to make a covenant with priest, peace with him and his house forever. Go, wow. So there's this family of priests that have their own special covenant. No one's got a clue what that means. And the Mosaic covenant that God makes with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai doesn't uh, abrogate the Abrahamic one, which is what Paul's arguing about in Galatians. He said God keeps all 
of his promises. And the Mosaic Covenant involved land, it did. It involved rules, yes it did. It was a, uh, a covenant where two sides had agreed. And it was broken before Moses got down the mountain. It was. Before Moses even got down the mountain, we've built a golden calf. So what does God do? Does he go, okay, well, that's it. That, that obviously didn't work. That covenant, as Paul says in Galatians, was our guardian, was a tutor, was a shield. He tried to defend us against our own selves. We wanted to do all kinds of crazy things, and, and uh, God said, actually, I don't like lying. Actually, I don't like murder. Actually, I kind of like it if you stop uh, having fun with everybody else's wives. You've got your own, thank you. And these kinds of things. And, and the, because it was broken, you needed a new one. That's why Jeremiah the prophet says, behold, I'm going to make a new covenant. Why? Well, because the, the other one kind of broke before it even got down the mountain. And this new covenant isn't going to get rid of the Torah. Where's the Torah going to be? On your hearts. Exactly where it's supposed to be. And so all of that teaching, all of that instruction, all of that, that uh, knowledge from God right here. And so now he no longer is the guardian. The Holy Spirit is now our guardian. There's this other covenant, covenant that God makes with David. And it's an interesting covenant that we read here. It's got several elements. So first of all, the scenario is uh, the civil war has ended in in Israel, um, King Saul has been defeated. King David is now ruling. Uh, Jerusalem is now the capital. Uh, David has made himself a palace, and uh, he summons his prophet. And all kings in the Bible had their prophet. In fact, David ended up having two. He had Gad, and then Nathan, and. Um, uh, the only king in the Bible who doesn't have a prophet is guess who? King Solomon. King Solomon does not have a prophet. And you can obviously see where that got him in trouble. Okay. So prophets had a role. And they often clashed with uh, the kings. They were like the checks and balances of government. Um, so King David summons his... Uh, his prophet, he says, look, um, I've got a house and it's a beautiful palace, but the ark of God has been living inside a tent. Actually, the word he uses is um, it's curtains. Now, God's ark had had a special dwelling, the tabernacle, the mishkan, which God had, when he got his people out of Egypt, he had said, make this, make this uh, tent for me, uh, uh, a tabernacle, the Mishkan. Why? Because I want to dwell Bechem, in you, not in it. Very interesting. And God had, uh, this tabernacle had been in operation for 369 years at a place called Shiloh. Guys have all been there? Fantastic sight. 
God had been dwelling there and everything had sort of, I wouldn't say been okay, because when you read the book of Judges, it's really not okay. But that's where God had made his footprint. And then the ark had been taken by the Philistines through some very foolish uh, priests, sons of Eli. And the tabernacle was dismantled, dismantled, it was taken down. That skin that they had fashioned in the beginning in the wilderness was still there 369 years later. And where did it go? I hear you ask. Um, no one has a clue. But in 2 Maccabees, which of course you all read, uh, 2 Maccabees says that uh, Jeremiah hid it. Okay. Uh, next to the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> so good old Jeremiah seemed to knew where the Ark was. And he called it, he called it in the mountain of Moses, wherever that is. Um, which is an interesting little thing. But the the tabernacle had been taken down and the ark had disappeared. And to only be returned, because the Philistines couldn't handle it. They couldn't ha- have that kind of power. God would not allow himself to be insulted that way. And they'd given it back. And it had, and you and we read last week how it was transported back into Jerusalem. And David had built a tent for it. A, we don't know its size or its shape. Um, we know that David delighted to sit before the ark and worship. We know that David had organized 24-7 worship in front of the ark. And, uh, and here he says, The ark has been living inside curtains, and I've got this beautiful palace. It's not right. Uh, I really should build uh, a temple. It's a good thing. And his prophet, what does his prophet say? His prophet says, sounds good to me. The Lord is with you. Why would he say such a thing? Could be because David has been blessed in everything that he's done. He has been anointed by God. Took him 15 years before he finally actually became the king. How's that preparation time for ministry? Uh, He's fought giants. He's fought nations. He's defeated a civil war. He's uh, beaten all of his enemies. He has captured uh, uh, a capital. He is doing well. And so, of course, yes, the Lord is with you. Why would he not be? It's success. King David has the Holy Spirit. I'm presuming Nathan the prophet's got the Holy Spirit. And yet, they're wrong. It's a good lesson to learn, isn't it? I'd like to build a temple. And Nathan says, sounds good. The Lord is with you. In that evening, the Lord corrects Nathan and says, no, no, he's not building the temple. In fact, I'm going to give David a gift. I'm going to build something for David. It's a good lesson for us. One of the first lessons we should learn is just because someone says, I've got the Holy Spirit, you should listen to me, it's a good sign to not listen to them. Just because you have the Holy Spirit doesn't make you infallible. Anyone here think that they're infallible? Anyone here have the Holy Spirit? Yes. And yet we also make this. It's a good lesson. It's a good humbling lesson to learn. Even a prophet okay, can get stuff wrong. Good lesson. So King David has a good heart. He's got good intentions. I, want, I delight 
to make God a, a temple. And uh, the Lord responds, saying, actually, David, I'm going to give you a gift. And the gift that I'm going to give is even better than a house. I'm going to make, you don't build me a house, I'm going to build you a house. The house of David. I'm going to build a dynasty through you. It's going to bless the entire world. It doesn't cancel out the Mosaic Covenant. It doesn't nullify it. The Mosaic Covenant actually is also, as well as having some uh, checks and balances and some rules, also applies to this land. If you, sir, if you follow my commands, you'll be blessed in, in this land. This covenant also has land attached to it. Verse 10. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. The Davidic covenant is unconditional. The Mosaic covenant had conditions. But the Davidic covenant is unconditional. And it also contains land. Sometimes people will say, ah, oh, the Israel has no right to the land anymore. Mosaic covenant was broken. Well, I know that. It was broken on the mountain where they made it. And they carried it around with them. You know, all through history, broken. That's why we needed a new one. But God made a special covenant with the house of David. And in that covenant, it contains also land. David wants to, has, has built a, a tent for the Lord. Notice in the prophet Amos, Amos 9, it says, Rebuild the tabernacle of David, or David's fallen tent. It doesn't say rebuild the temple. It doesn't say rebuild the tabernacle that was in Shiloh. It says rebuild the thing that David built. What was so special about that? Think about it. David built a tent, and he could get close to God and worship, and other people could come into his presence and worship. It was slightly different from the temple. So God is going to make a house of David. And this is an incredible promise, an incredible covenant, which is unconditional. Next week, guess what our reading is going to be about? David and Bathsheba. Oops, I know, lectionaries are like that. You've got to read every bit of it. But think about it. God is making an unconditional covenant with David, whom he also knows is going to blow it next week. Now, isn't that a nice also spiritual thought? Well, God will only use me if I'm good. God will use you because God will use you. That doesn't mean you can go out and keep sinning. That's not what I'm saying. But it is a nice spiritual principle to think about the mercies of God. I'm going to make a house, of, house with you, David. And I even know the lady that I'm going to make the house through. You haven't met her yet. And it's not going to be pretty when you do. But I'll make it all right. I'll leave 
that one for next week's sermon. So God will bless David even though he knows he's going to make a mistake. And that's a nice thought. Eventually, yes, we do get King Solomon. And King Solomon does build the temple. And it's beautiful. And King Solomon stood in front of that temple and he said, and when the stranger comes here to pray, please hear from heaven. It was never meant to be just kept to the Jewish people. Never. Not from its first inception. In fact, when Israel left Egypt, who went with them? Egyptians. Other Gentiles. The Jews and Gentiles have actually always traveled together. Not always. Well, I'm not going to say that. But they always have. And even in the second temple, there was, there was a place for Gentiles. It was massive. Every tour guide that takes you on top of the Temple Mount and goes, see this court here? This is the court of the Gentiles. It's half the hill. Uh, I mean, it's obviously a lot of Gentiles. But it was meant to be a place where God could touch the earth and then it would, his, his light would be reflected out by Israel to the nations, and that would be attractive to people. Nobody else had, a, had instruction and a moral and ethical code like, like the Torah. We, we had women could inherit in the Bible. They were of equal value. This is incredible. Slavery, you had to get rid of them after seven years. It was never meant to be the way we were supposed to be. We were never meant to own slaves. There was all kinds of really good ethics that was supposed to be like a, a light to the nations. Plus, this king, every king that sat on the throne of David, there was eventually going to be the king. The king that was going to make it all right. Because of the Mosaic covenant, Israel engaged in idolatry once too often and the Babylonians came and the temple was destroyed. And it was a shock. It was a, it was a real shock, theological shock, but it was also a treasure because it decentralized the religion. What do I mean by that? You had to rethink everything in the text now. Because you didn't have a temple. Could I still pray? Was God, did he still care? Are any of his promises still valid or true? I wasn't faithful, but is he going to be faithful? What about the prophets? What about the promises God made? What about the Gentiles? Have, have, we, have we so damaged our witness to them that they're, they're not going to come to the, to, the, to the Lord? And so in Diaspora... Jewish people had to really think about this. And when you have a, a look at, at Daniel, Daniel's in, in Babylon. He has no access to a temple. He can't make sacrifices. And I remember being in America, uh, giving a lecture, a little talk, and one pastor st st shot his hand up and said, but without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Therefore, because you can't have a temple, no one can get saved. Didn't seem to bother Daniel 
When the angels came and visited Daniel and gave him visions of the future, they didn't say, this is the future, Daniel, but you're toast. <laughs> okay? Um, it's, it, you, you're doing a nice job, but seriously, when you die, it's going to get really hot. Don't bother. No. When Paul, in the book of Acts, travels around synagogues in Greece, he doesn't say, guys, you're nowhere near the temple. What are you doing? You're dead. None of You're all sinners and you can't get rid of it. Because the temple was destroyed. Yes, mourn it. Yes, reflect on why it was destroyed. But the prophets don't say rebuild it. And Israel had already thought through what does it really mean? Where do you really repent? In your heart. On the day of Pentecost, Peter is in the temple. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter's words are, repent, believe, be baptized, and you'll be saved. He doesn't say, you see all this rubbish? It's not what he says. Jesus comes out of the desert, first words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. His last words as he's heading towards us in Revelation, repent because I am coming soon. So let's remember what the temple was and is and will be. God delighted always to live with his people. He delighted to make a covenant with Abraham that was unconditional, with King David that was unconditional. And it was going to affect the world. So much so, Galatians is all about that. And Jesus came and the light spread. He, sent, he didn't keep it to himself. He sent his disciples everywhere around the world. And when we read in the Gospels, and I'm only going to make a few remarks, you will see the Messiah doing exactly, and thankfully, exactly what everybody needs. Jesus had sent out his disciples, and they had fought the devil. They had healed. They had binded up the wounded. They had preached the kingdom of heaven, and they come back. And they give a report. And they are exhausted. And Jesus says, guys, you need a break. Take, take, come with me and take some rest. Rest needs to be part of your itinerary. Too many of us just keep working on the mission field thinking, we've got to keep doing it, we've got to keep going, and it would be really terrible if we take a break. Jesus knows you need a break. So take one. Recharge. He also noticed there was a lot of people that needed teaching. He gave the disciples a rest, and it says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he taught. You need rest? Take it. You need teaching? You got it. He crosses over the sea, crossover, traveled wherever, I'm not sure, to a place called Ganesarot, the Ganeseret. Gan in Hebrew, garden, sar, prince the princely gardens, or the gardens of the princes, whichever you want to say. It's a sort of a little region just near, uh, it's south of Capernaum. Probably was very beautiful, probably very fertile, uh, probably quite wealthy. Jesus goes there, and people hear about him, and they come out to meet him. They want to touch his tzitzit. Now, why would they want to do such a thing? Probably because they heard of the woman who had done it, and they're going, we'll do it too. 
Jesus doesn't drive them away. If you needed healing, you got it. If you needed teaching, you got it. If you needed rest, you got it. If you had a demon you needed defeated, you did it. Jesus will speak and touch each, every one of us in exactly the need that we want. Isn't that nice? That is the best of kings. And that is really good news. And it is available to everyone right now. And so, as we look at this, 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 this beautiful uh, promise that God turns around and gives David, you want to build me a house? I've never actually really wanted one. I'll take one. It'll be important. You can learn from it. You can come and pray. And it will be a holy mountain. It is my holy mountain. And the land, I'll make a covenant with you. Which is very interesting because they're already in it. Think about it. They just had a civil war inside the land. They've conquered all the land. And David says, I'll give you the, and God says to David, I'll give you the land. You can almost imagine David going, yeah, kind of already got it. But it's an unconditional one. And it's unconditional that God wants to share his love with the world. What a fantastic story. In a world that's gone woke, in a world where we want to cancel everything that, is, that we thought was good. And we threw biology out the window. The good news is Jesus can still speak to each and every broken person in exactly the way that they need to hear. That is such good news. There are people that I meet and I don't really know how to help them. There's a special person I'm working with right now. I'm not 100% I know how to help. But I know someone who does. I know someone who can talk to her like you've got no idea, who can make everything right. Things are pretty wrong. But God can make it all right because it's unconditional. And that really is, brothers and sisters, such good news. Be encouraged. Our King loves us. He is faithful when we are not. He has made promises to us that he is going to keep. He has sent us his spirit that continues to talk to us and never stops. And no matter what we need, God knows. And God can bring the healing. He can bring the comfort when we're lonely. He can bring a friend when we need it. He can give us safe travel when we're traveling. He can heal us when we're sick. And he can give us the courage to be bold when we need to be bold. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.